The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, trainings, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Joel Bennett. He's president of Organizational Wellness and Learning Systems, and this organization, the acronym is OWLS, delivers transformational well-being consultation to workplaces. Dr. Bennett's the author of five books, including Raw Coping Power and Heart-Centered Leadership, and you can read his Uh, essay, Seven Traits of Positive Audacity, in the September-October 2016 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine, and his current essay, Five Steps to Solving the Opioid Crisis, in the May-June 2018 issue of the magazine. Joel Bennett, welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's our pleasure. I mentioned both magazines the 2016 uh, essay and the, the 2018 essay, because I hope that we're going to get a chance to, to look at them both. They seem to me to, to go together in some sense. But let's begin with the current one, Five Steps to Solving the Opioid Crisis. I guess I want your general take on this. Sometimes I think that our current opioid crisis isn't, or is really just the latest expression of an existential crisis built into the Western psyche. Something like, you know, life shouldn't be suffering. You know, suffering is really punishment. That's sort of what the book of Genesis tells us. It's not supposed to be built into the way things are. I mean, that's Buddhism that tells you life is suffering. That in the West, we have this illusion that we could get rid of suffering and that what you call pharmophilia, the love of drugs, is our way of doing it. So, so what's your take on this? Is it something new or is this just part of our existential crisis in the West? Well, I, I, I wonder, uh, yeah, that's a, um, okay, yeah. People have a hard time with pain, right? We all have a hard time with pain. That's, that's not going to go away. And different religious uh, uh, and philosophical uh, orientations 
have an answer to that. And, and you know that from a lot of what you've written and, and talked about. I think in the West, it's a question of, can we make money off of it, right? <laughs> so so I, if to answer your question, it's, it's yes, it's very deeply existential to the human condition and the spiritual journey. It's a question of whether or not people wrestle with it, are allowed to wrestle with it, or whether they're offered a dangling, you know, shiny bauble to say, here, you don't have to wrestle with it. We're going to give it to you for $49.95, right? So I hope that at least is in the direction of where you want to go with this. So. Well, okay, you bring up uh, the jade, you bring out the, the jaded side of me, I guess, when you talk about money. Yeah, I, I understand that, and, and I, I get what you're saying, and that certainly is a big part of everything that happens in the capitalist civilization. But you, you trace it back. I mean, you, you know, this is a short essay, uh, but still you, you trace it back, in a sense, to um, you know, the fountain of youth and all the different things. I mean, it seems to me you go back hundreds of years. The, the impression is you're going to go back hundreds of years and find you know, an alchemy in different ways that we're always trying to avoid pain, whereas you know, the Buddhists say it's just a built-in part of the system and pills aren't going to help. A change of consciousness is what's necessary. So do you see a change of consciousness being necessary uh, a necessary component to solving the op opioid crisis? Oh, yes, most definitely. In fact, I would argue that the current opioid crisis can serve as a crucible for awakening. That, you know, it's that quote from Jung that says, there's no coming to consciousness without pain. And in the article with the space I had to try and say, no, wait, maybe it's the other way around. You know, maybe with the ability to monitor and, and be more mindful and bring in our spiritual resources that do go back thousands of years. We can talk about the Rig Veda and how the, the Soma that's talked about uh, even earlier, you know, before there was even this idea of the fountain of youth, that there's something deep inside the soul of humanity, the common humanity that is aspiring to awaken from pain. And when we've gotten to the point where, where we're selling things and people are making money and the, the uh, more and more you're seeing in the news lately that the pharmaceutical companies knew what they were doing, um, that maybe we need to start realizing that maybe this model isn't really what we thought it was. And so um, I'm, I'm seeing it as a, as a positive um, and, a, and an awareness of the, how deeply uh, addicted our society is and how deeply we look. You know, one of my teachers was Ann Wilson Schaaf, who wrote a book called When Society Becomes an Addict. And she talked a lot about how all addictive processes require looking outside of ourselves, something that's called external referencing, where the locus of control is out there. Something out there is going to fix this. And we know that from, at least I think from what I've read with you and much of what's in spirituality and health, it's not out there, right? It's not out there. And here now it's come to the head. It's come to its head, right? Of course, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with pharmaceuticals per se. We need things. It's great that we have science, but 
it's been co-opted and misused and is misaligned. So I'm hoping that we can move from this crisis orientation, uh, this crisis intervention mode. I mean, people are dying. Just yesterday, uh, somebody, I didn't even know, a colleague, they just told me my sister died from an opioid addiction. It's going on and we're, our heads are in the sand for the most part. So I'm, I'm hoping that it's a, maybe there's another, another way to be conscious about our pain and our mortality. Um, and, and I'd like to, I'd like to go to the other side from your uh, jaded, uh, cynical side here, right? Play both ends. Okay. I, I, I'll go with you. That's fine. <laughs> so in, in the article, you talk about uh, selecting a, a healthy alternative to opioids and you list a bunch of things and we're not, we don't have time to go through all of them, but you list things like, um, well, I'm just going to quote you. You say, consider essential oils, herbal teas, massage, mind-body practices like Tai Chi, yoga, Qigong, and mindfulness. Do you think, because I mean, you sound very hopeful, do you think this that message that there are these other alternatives, these non-addictive alternatives, do you think that actually gets through? Especially when you talked a couple of years ago about, and this is a phrase I loved, or word you coined that I loved, called mindfulness, which sort of like the McDonald's of, of mindfulness. So, so how, do you, how do you work those two together? That I'd like to believe that, for example, mindfulness, we're going to rediscover this thing big time and it's going to transform society. But then it becomes like everything else in, in a capitalist society, mindfulness, And they're just selling us mindfulness franchises and all kinds of exercises and the right cushions and the right clothes and you know, all of that. So, so how, do you, how do you understand that challenge? So I want you to know, uh, Rami, that I feel like we're playing chess here. We're going back to the jaded square, right? <laughs> I was moving in another direction, but we can go back to the, uh, you know, the, yes, the McMindfulness. It's true. These are things we need to be wary of. We've always, like I said in the article, you know, the whole idea of the snake oil, uh, you know, sales, salesman, right? So um, the way that it all comes together, and I put on my science practitioner hat, my scientist practitioner hat, we're talking about the fact that, number one, many of those practices you listed have a strong evidence base behind them. Mindfulness meditation, uh, when practiced uh, right, um, does have an impact on pain reduction. Qigong uh, has been shown in study after study to deal with things like stress and anxiety and things that exacerbate the, the reactivity uh, to, to pain. So the truth is, is that the research is out there and those characteristics are actually from the National Institutes of Health, those qualities, Tai Chi, progressive relaxation, et cetera, massage. So that's the first side of it. Those things do work. And many of them are low cost alternative health, uh, complementary and alternative health practices. The, the issue is, is that people are not educated around them as primary prevention tools. In our empowered health consciousness model training, which I just trained people today in, what we're talking about is educating people in an empowered way so that they can internally reference themselves and check in with their bodies and their uh, motives for dealing with pain, dealing with the need for energy, for the stimulants, 
dealing with their anxiety and and sedatives and relaxants that are out there on the pharmaceutical market. So instead of uh, the the intense consumer advertising uh, that is being done, the direct to consumer advertising in the pharmaceutical industry, and the immediate you know first choice for your doctor is to just give you a prescription. We need to re-educate people about owning and empowering themselves around all of these other very low-cost alternative health uh, practices for the purposes of enhancing their health consciousness, building their health consciousness. You know, I do want to go back to the to the spiritual reference. You know, there is a overlap between health consciousness. Uh, and divine consciousness and the whole idea of the body as the temple and the the idea of the sabbath and taking time out to remember that is gone it's 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 gone it's it's fraying in our society so when you look at the entire the whole picture mcmindfulness right the co-optation of a very sacred practice that was originally about uh seeking enlightenment it wasn't about mindfulness and vipassana and satipatthana was not about relieving stress. And there are teachers who originally came over and brought that over who would say that if you're here to reduce your stress, you're here for the wrong wrong reason. If you're here to seek liberation, you're here for the right reason. But unfortunately, like everything else in our culture, things get co-opted. Make mindfulness being one example. So the the overarching and most important message, which I, I think you align with, is getting people back to their own understanding of their soulfulness and how they can treat their body uh, from that perspective and use practices that will help them do that. I hope that kind of helped answer. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you, you articulate, articulated that very clearly, and it makes me wonder... If and this is how I, in my mind, this is how how I was tie, tying the two essays together. Whether what you're calling liberation at the moment isn't couldn't also be understood in your concept of positive audacity. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Do you see a connection there? It just seems to me that, because you define audacity as bold disrespect. And it seems to me that liberation, enlightenment, is a bold, is a freeing of yourself from the BS that is fed to us continually by the normative culture, and and that enlightenment shatters that, breaks through from that, 
and and so does positive audacity. Is that am I is this too far a stretch or, or you? No, I mean so saith the Zen master, right? I mean that was the whole point of um, the uh, striking of the student, right? To wake the student up, and um, we have to wake ourselves up now. And so, no, it's directly related to that. The the idea of positive audacity is that we are willing to take on the problem. We're willing to go into the pain, right? We're willing to speak truth to power. You know, we're willing to say something that might be considered disrespectful because what's more important is truth, you know, our truth and speaking our truth. So positive audacity um, is, is very much related to this idea of waking up, yes. And it's also related to the idea of not settling for the status quo, which would be something like always use a prescription drug when you have a problem. That would be the status quo. And that's, that's where this, your notion of disrespect comes. It's sort of what we used to call question authority. Yes, what we used to call question authority. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. So you've got this great line in the Audacity essay where I'm just going to read it to you and see if, what you think about it now, a couple of years later. You wrote, The teachings of the Buddha and Jesus and the Declaration of Independence are audacious in the, in the extreme, but so was Adolf Hitler. How can we discern positive from negative audacity? That's your question. How do we discern positive from negative audacity? So how do we do that? Well, I think that's the question on everybody's mind in the area of in the era of Donald Trump, right? So I know we're going all over the place here, um, but that discernment is is really what I think is needed, and how we do that is, gosh, I'd love to ask you that question. I think, you know, I think this could be a ideally a dialogue between us. I think how we discern. Um, you know, positive audacity from negative audacity has to do a lot with that internal referencing that I was talking about earlier, you know, going with our gut and, and training our children and the people in our communities and our families to openly discuss and, and contemplate, that's a key word, what they think is true for themselves instead of arguing about it, instead of taking uh, a dialectic about it, instead of being, um, you know, always going to some sort of a, a sweeping, dogmatic uh, approach. Um, I think that's the first thing is to recognize dogma for what it is, to recognize the lemming effect for what it is when everybody is jumping on a bandwagon or which is, I think, what's great about the American culture is the the idea of innovation and uh, autonomy um, to the sense of being able to say, huh, this is BS, you know, uh, and and finding a way to work with others in communities of practice that you're seeing all over the place, actually, to to kind of hold a torch to or hold a light to how can we work together to find the right solution and not go with one side or the other side in this polarized dialectic that we're seeing in our culture. So I think discernment is a tough one. 
And that's why I thought I'd love to hear what you think about it, too. Well, I mean, very quickly, my sense of it is that it's positive if it serves the flourishing of self and others, and negative if it serves neither or only one or the other. My, my concern, and you raised this earlier, just a few moments ago, my concern is that, in a sense, we're, we're being made so dumb that we can't, I don't know if we can discern things anymore, that we're so locked into these competing tribes with each with its own you know, truth and quotes, that reality gets lost somewhere in the narrative. And that's why what I, what I liked about what you're saying is this, the, the challenge of, of audacity is to say, you know what, I don't know, and you don't know. And I'm going to challenge these things, I'm going to question these things to see where they lead rather than just, oh, this is my red tribe saying this, so I'm going to say it too, or this is my blue tribe saying it, and I'm going to say that, uh, you know, that's, that's my truth now because my, my tribe is saying it. I'm, I'm so fearful that we are becoming tribal to the extreme and incapable of this bold you know, audacity, this, this positive audacity. Let me ask you, because we're just about out of time, let me ask you one last question about resilience. <laughs> because I, I think you know, we, we hear all the time about resisting. And you're talking about, I don't know, I don't think there are opposites. But I wonder if, if resilience is a kind of resistance to the madness of our moment. I love it. I love everything you're saying. I hope we can talk again because, yes, I, I do think it is. But like I was talking about the opioid epidemic as a crucible, when you start peeling into it, there's really much more that it's trying to show us, you know? And there's more potential for growth that can come out of it instead of reacting to it in a crisis way. In a parallel way, resilience is the same thing. Resilience suggests that there's a potential here, that uh, resilience, if it is only, or if I understand what you're saying, is only like our resistance to the madness, then it's not revealing its true potential. That is, Resilience, if you, oh, if, you, if you notch it up just a little bit more, resilience turns into thriving. Resilience turns into flourishing. And that's that, that positive psychological turn to resilience. So it's, it's just not being resilient for resilience sake, which is where a lot of the writings are now. And our, we do a training on um, from resilience to thriving. And the whole idea is, training people to understand or educating ourselves to understand just like with powered health consciousness. Hey, if I'm only bouncing back all the time, right, then I'm going to be worn out, you know? And if I'm only being resilient, so I'm learning how to push through the madness, then that's not really serving anything. So it's sort of like digging into resilience a little bit more and seeing the seed that it's there trying to tell us to enhance our well-being to actualize or what I call potentiate our, our well-being. So resilience is a step along the way. We are going to have to hold it there, unfortunately. I mean, there's so much more to be said about this. Luckily, we have your two articles and your five books that people can 
can get a you know a deeper go deeper into what you've been saying because it's really important. Our guest today was Dr. Joel Bennett. You can read Dr. Bennett's essay Seven Traits of Positive Audacity in the September October 2016 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine and his essay Five Steps to Solving the Opioid Crisis in the May-June 2018 issue. For more information on his books and his work, please visit organizationalwellness.com. Joel, thanks so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. It was an essential pleasure. (laughs) Thanks. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, training, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health Magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land. This is part tour, part pilgrimage, as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites we will visit, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com backslash holyland hyphen with hyphen Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and to download the iTunes app for this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.